Okay. Hello, it's Paul Scott here, a small caps podcaster, analyst, investor. This is my macro uh, news and views part two podcast. And these are literally, as I always say, just points I've jotted down that looked of interest during the week. Um, so I'm not claiming to be a guru on macro factors at all. I'm just uh, generally interested in it. Of course, I write the small cap value reports on stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and Roland Head, as you're probably aware. Okay, again, usual random points. Firstly, markets overall still feel very difficult for small caps, I've got to say. I mean, the small caps market, to me, just feels broken. You know, there's no liquidity. Um, there just seems to be very little interest in lots of shares that are just grinding slowly down with on no news. Then some generally quite good news seems to be coming out. Most companies are reporting in line or ahead. Not really many profit warnings, I, would, I, I, I think, considering the general gloom. Uh, so, yeah, very difficult markets to navigate. Anyway, there was an. In- I was listening. I've been listening to lots of podcasts while I've been out in in um, in Gozo, and Ian King's podcasts on Sky are very interesting business uh, podcast. Now he flagged up. He he interviewed an insolvency practitioner whose name I didn't catch, who said that HMRC are toughening up on. Um, extending credit basically to struggling companies, zombie companies. And that ties in with what we saw, I think, last week when INTS went under, went bust, called it administrators because it said that a major creditor, it didn't say whether it was the bank or HMLRC, a major creditor had withdrawn support. So for financially distressed companies, I think you could be now looking at more of them being pushed into administration by a tougher stance from HMRC. So that's something to watch out for. <clears throat> now, Janet Yellen, that strange woman in America who um, does something important in the government connected with finance, I can't remember her exact title, she was saying that they're seeing banks being less reluctant, sorry, more reluctant to lend. And she indicated that that might kind of do the Fed's job for them in in terms of not needing to keep raising interest rates if credit conditions are naturally tightening anyway by the banks. So I thought that was quite, uh, in a well, it's got some positive and some negative uh, uh, effects, hasn't it? Now, John Authors, brilliant uh, journalist, I always read his articles if I've got time, he says um, that the, the latest US inflation data is encouraging for the Fed, and he introduced a concept I'd not heard of before, introduced to me, that is, of the trimmed mean for inflation me- measures. And this is where you <clears throat> you take off the outliers at either end, the um, things that have excessively risen in price or excessively fallen in price. You trim those off as outliers that distort the average and look at the mean, the average, without those distortion lines in it. And he said um, that the inflation picture in America is looking a lot better on that trimmed mean basis and that it's also falling on the stickier measures of inflation. So the, the, the outlook for inflation in America looks looks pretty good, certainly better than it is in the short term in the UK anywhere. But he, uh, John Authors also commented that wage growth is still too high in the, uh, in the US, which is a concern for inflation, and that there's little reason for the Fed to cut rates, and that the consensus is that rates in America will reach between 4 and 5% by the year end. <clears throat> and he commented also on the S&P 500, saying it's on a trailing PE of 20 and a forward PE of 18, so not into historic bargain territory by any means. 
Uh, now, AI and ChatGPT, I seem to mention this every week. Um, oh, I covered this point in the other podcast, saying that this could be very interesting for investors as a, as a research tool. And several readers on the Stockopedia have been flagging up interesting work they've done on this. And there's a lot of interest from the readers. So if you know what you're talking about on AI and chat GPT and all that sort of thing, uh, do tell us more about it. It seems a fascinating subject. I don't know anything about it. Then M. Winkworth, interesting macro points in its Outlook comments for its trading update. It mentions pent-up pandemic savings are helping to soften the cost of living crisis. Now, we haven't heard much about that for a while, but... um, if you, remember, if you recall, I think it was last year, the Bank of England said that households had hoarded about £150 billion in what were called at the time enforced savings, which was all the money that was pumped into the system, into households through grants and uh, furlough schemes, all the different schemes. But we, we had nothing to spend our money on because we couldn't go and eat out, we couldn't go to the cinema, we couldn't go on holiday. And this led to enforced savings. Now, this has sort of dropped off the, the radar. I haven't heard anyone mention it for a long time. But Winkworth does mention this and say it believes that to be a factor in the housing market being better than expected. And it says the property market is, in, is improving now. And it it says expect towards the higher end of market expectations for Winkworth's um, profitability. It also mentions strong employment. We've got full employment, only I think three point eight percent unemployment, which is basically frictional, isn't it? Really, you know, there's a certain level it doesn't go below for people who are just in between jobs in in a shortish um, term, and. Um, and it also mentions private sector wage inflation is strong, which is helping the property market. So pretty good indications on the property market there from Winkworth, but obviously coming from a low base because we know it had this uh, big hiatus linked to the mini budget last October, but now seems to be firmly recovering from that. <clears throat> uh, cake box I mentioned in the other podcast, CBOX, this is the cream cake franchise business, uh, saying raw material costs have stabilised, helped by lower freight costs. That's a, an ongoing theme I think we'll see from lots of companies, which makes me believe that companies who've seen their profit margins badly hit in the last year or so from all these various macro problems could start rebuilding those margins. I mean, they should do, really, shouldn't they? For all materials are actually starting to stabilise and fall. And this freight costs thing, I mention that every week, that is a huge tailwind for companies that are importing large volumes of consumer goods from the Far East, which basically means pretty much all non-food retailers, doesn't it? So again, I think there's good reasons to think think that the retail shares could be a could be an, an interesting sector because sentiment is so down although a lot of the shares particularly the mid-cap retailers are already uh anticipating this i think but the small caps get left behind and there could be opportunities there i think now the uk inflation numbers cpi came in in march at 10.1 percent which is down slightly from 10.4 percent in february but above expectations of 9.8%. So, so far, and I don't think individual months' data are actually that, uh, that, that enthralling, but so far, inflation appears stubbornly high in the UK. Um, but I did look at the data myself, and where is it? It's low down my list. If you look at the month-on-month inflation data, which I think is on the ONS website, which I looked at, 
What you can see is that the really big rises in UK inflation happened between March 2022 and October 22. So in March 2022, the index was 116.5. So lock onto that number, 116.5. It then rose by October, so that's only, what, seven months. It rose from 116.5 to 124.3, which is clearly a big increase. But since then through to March, it's only gone up from 124.3 to 126.8. So very little additional inflation in the last six months. Obviously, that means when all this annualises in six months' times, you should see UK inflation drop a hell of a lot. That's just on my rudimentary um, uh, analysis of the data, just from well, looking at a table. <laughs> Not really analysis, is it? Uh, but it, t- it ties in closely to what the Bank of England governor says, that he's expecting inflation to, in the UK to fall sh- very rapidly from the late summer onwards. So that's why I think we shouldn't be particularly spooked by the short-term uh, individual months numbers. Food is obviously the big one, 19.2% inflation on food, as I'm sure we're all aware of doing our weekly shop. Housing and housing services is another big one, 11.6%. I assume that includes energy bills. Um, restaurant and hotels stands out as a high inflation sector, plus 113 And then the uh, ONS are also talking about CPIH, and the H stands for housing costs. So um, that is um, lower. It's 8.9% um, for owner-occupier housing costs. So as we've seen before, it's the relatively poorer people who put, spend more on energy and food and rent who are really being clobbered by inflation. And it's the relatively affluent who are not being hurt by it. Same old story, really, isn't it? <clears throat> inflation is a really brutal, cruel thing that hits the poor the hardest. I mean, this is why it became such a hot potato in the 1970s. And uh, the Thatcher government was determined to stamp it out, which temporarily it did anyway, before it all got out of control again towards the end of the 80s when Lawson overcooked things. Um, what have we got then? Uh, wink with yes, we've covered that. Cake box raw materials stabilising. That's good. Good read across on that. Inflation we've covered. Um, oh yeah, lots of people are posting stuff on Twitter. I'm engaging more with Twitter. Lots of people are putting about all this data and you know getting really into it all and trying to predict when the war's going to end and all this sort of thing. I just think, for me, my approach is don't overthink the macro data. We, the, the, the outlook, particularly the further out, further out you look, is completely unknown, unknowable, and it's nothing more than guesswork. So, but I think what we can see, I try to focus on the overall themes, what we can see is that inflation is definitely going to come down unless there's another big energy shock this winter. And, in, and therefore, there'll be no, no reason why interest rates can't also come down. So it seems to me that locking on to... Uh, an outlook for lower inflation and lower interest rates seems to me a common sense thing to do. I don't think we really have to get into much more detail than that. And obviously watch out for any any factors that might change that. Okay. Uh, Five-month absence of news. Oh, this is on Volex, VLX, the electrical cables connecting business that... um, they left it five months without telling the stock market how they were trading. I think that was a massive own goal. And I don't know why you would not tell the owners of the company how you're performing. 
when the economy is tough and just leaving it five months is crazy. So I do implore Volux and all other businesses really to give investors a trading update at least every three months. It doesn't have to say a lot. All it needs to say is, are you trading in line with expectations or not? That's it. That's all we need to know. If you want to give us more detail, great. But, you know, small investors are very engaged with the businesses that we invest in. We're passionate about them. We want to know how they're, how they're you know, performing. Yes, we're backseat passengers. I remember talking to a company CFO about this, and I said, he sounded really surprised when I said that I was getting agitated because I didn't know how the company was doing. I said, you need to put out more frequent trading updates. He says, well, do people actually read them then? I said, yeah, of course we do. We're up at seven every morning looking at these things. We want to know how our businesses we backed are, are performing, which I think sometimes maybe management can forget. Certainly Volex, I would ask them nicely if they would just consider updating us more often. Now, the, the market, the published spreads are far too wide. I'm seeing some awful spreads on even not not the smallest businesses, but, you know, 100 to 200 million pound companies. You can see a 5 or 10% uh, spread. The problem with that, and the stock market need to wise up to this, is that spread will just put people off. People won't even, t- won't even look up a, a live price for it if they can see that the spread is 5 or 10%. But it isn't the real spread because you've got these RSPs, the retail service providers, which are, which are live electronic quotes, which are often well inside the, the quoted spread. <coughs> so I implore the uh, LSE to actually, the London Stock Market Stock Exchange, to start to change the prices published from these just theoretical um, prices that market makers have to quote to what are they actually quoting on the RSP, which will be a much tighter price. And people will be more, you know, you're going to get more volume in the market if people can see that actually it's not a 10% spread, it's a 2% spread, which it often is uh, on the RSPs. So let's get those RSP prices published. Don't keep them hidden. Um, Now, Tuesday, we had great reader comments about Trustpilot. I think I put something up about it. How, you know, whenever I look at Trustpilot, I exp- oh, somebody complained about that So Sandar SOS, which I hold personally. So Sandar had poor Trustpilot reviews. We then got a really interesting reader discussion on this subject. That's in Tuesday's Small Cap Valley report. So have a look at that. I think there were some great insights there. So thank you to everybody who contributed. And basically, I think the overall consensus is that Trustpilot reviews aren't worth uh, re- even looking at, really, because... Um, you, you know, you can pay to have them made 99% positive. So the whole thing's ridiculous. And if you refuse to pay, you'll end up with bad reviews. So, yeah, I think one one reader called it an extortion racket, which is a bit uh, over the top. But, uh, yeah, we certainly need to be sceptical about Trustpilot reviews and reviews generally. OK. Um, yeah, we've dealt with that. What else? That covered nearly all of it now. Oh, there was an interesting email from Hargreaves Lansdowne, which I usually, they do a nice market comment thing. They flagged up that UK consumer confidence is rising. And a lot of these companies say that UK retail sales are down, but as I always complain, journalists muddle up volume and value. 
and actually retail sales are not down by value, they're up strongly. But um, what the journalists are trying to say, I think, is that the volumes are down, which you would expect, because we all know that we're buying less stuff because it's costing more. But in terms of how that translates to company accounts, it's obviously going to be a higher revenue revenues number. And like I say, like I said in the other one, I don't care if it comes from price rises, as long as they're increasing revenues and they're keeping their margins up, up then that's, that's still growth. Um, doesn't matter if, if it's achieved by volume or price or a mixture of the two. Uh, what have we got next? Um, oh yes, core. Going back to inflation, I've got a number here. Core CPIH inflation in the UK, which excludes food, energy, and can't read my own writing. Oh, alcohol and tobacco. Core inflation is 5.7% in the UK, which isn't too bad, is it? So once those big rises in food and energy annualise and drop out of the figures, we're definitely going to be seeing inflation much, much lower. So reasons to be positive. Let's be optimistic. There are good reasons to be optimistic. Putin, another gas squeeze coming this winter. The, The papers are reporting... Oh, the GFK consumer confidence number. Now, this was up a lot, up 6 to minus 30. The GFK consumer confidence number tends to be negative always. Um, um, that's just the way the numbers work. But um, it's it's a move of up 6 to minus 30 is a really big move. So consumers are getting a lot more uh, or a lot less worried um, in the UK, which I think, again, is another reason to be looking at consumer stocks, I think, where they're totally bombed out. I've, I've got about 75% of my portfolio in consumer stocks. My big three are best of the best. BOTB is by far my largest position. Then XP Factory is number two, the Experiential Leisure Bars Group. And the third one is Revolution Bars, which I'm worried about. There's just no bid at all on Revolution Bars in the market. You know, if you tried to sell a grand's worth of shares, you'd, you'd knock the price down about 20%. No, not 22%. It's, um, sorry, dropped a decimal point there. So it is a worry, um, for sure. But I'm hoping, because people are going to see big rises in their pay packets from this April, because that's when all the pensions and benefits uh, 10% rises go through, round about now, I think you could see a surge in consumer spending in May. But, but, but we'll see. Ah, Wan Disco, that bloody awful thing I got caught on. They, uh, The FCA is announcing an investigation into all the fake trading updates that they put out. So it'll be interesting what they say. Probably in six or seven years they might conclude that there was wrongdoing and uh, wrap a few knuckles. <laughs> you know, it's pathetic in this country how, uh, you know, financial wrongdoing is effectively uh, not punished hardly ever at all. These cases take years to grind through, usually get bogged down and nothing happens. So it's not really a deterrent, is it, to people doing wrong? Uh, oh, erratic price movements in small caps. I'm seeing this every day, some very bizarre price moves, often on quite low volumes and I don't know what to make of it you know do you it does it mean a company's trading badly or does it just mean somebody's decided to ram through some aggressive cells to try and push the price down maybe a shorting attack on you know if you can short very very illiquid stocks trigger people's stop losses so I'm wondering if there might be um, short sellers active in some of these thinly traded small caps possibly don't know what are your theories um 
very strange markets at the moment, very difficult markets for small caps. I think, it, for me, my, my view is, is, is quite long-term on these things. Somebody said to me, oh, I, you know, I'd written positive things about Euracel and Wix, and maybe both of the, maybe those weren't the slam dunks I thought they were. Well, I think, bear in mind, I'm not saying I think they're going to instantly double or, or whatever. My views on shares are based on kind of like a two-year-plus view. I think a lot of these companies like Euracel and Wix are fundamentally very good businesses, but they might have a difficult year in 2023, and they've already indicated that 2023 is going to be a difficult year. So you, so I'm looking at it, looking through a tricky year this year, and looking back to what the price of the shares is probably going to be once earnings have normalised. So that, just to clarify, that's the way I look at things. So if, if something puts out a profit warning and drops 30% that I've said I like... I wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that. I think that's to be expected when the economy is tight and you've got GDP bumping along at um, close to zero. You know, you are going to get profit warnings. That's what we accept as long-term investors. Um, you, you you get around that by having a spread of different shares in different sectors. Uh, but, you know, it is completely normal to get hit by an occasional 30% loss first thing in the morning on a profit warning. You know, it happens. And if the company's got a good balance sheet, it doesn't really matter. Maybe an opportunity to buy some more. You know, a lot of these things with good, strong balance sheets that are fundamentally good businesses do recover from profit warnings. Uh, you've just got to be patient, haven't you? My problem at the moment is I've got this new dealing app on Hargreaves Lambsdowne. So I moved my SIP over to Hargreaves Lambsdowne recently. Normally, I only do five or six trades a year on my SIP, if that. Um, and I just, you know, wait several years to see what happens with things I've invested in, because that's my strategy. But now I've got this instant dealing app that's only £11.95 per trade. I'm constantly tinkering with things, and I really shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit worried. I might just start playing around with things too much. For example, I got I had to sell something to raise some money for Renault and Sosanda. So I started selling uh, HVivo. That was the thing where I suddenly thought, hmm, I don't like the parallels with one disco in that you've got a very promotional CEO and a lot of the share price rise has been based on contract win announcements. And I thought, well, maybe this this could all be made up as well. I'm sure it isn't, but you just don't know, do you? I thought that that is a risk. So I've been trimming back on that position at around 16p. And of course, Sod's Law being what it is, it's suddenly shot up 15%, hasn't it? For no apparent reason. You know, the one share I decided to, to, to sell is the one that's that, that's gone up strongly. You know, it's frustrating, isn't it? But there we go. Um, <clears throat> I'm happier holding Susanna and Reynolds. And both of those, I think, should be great long-term. But I'm just going to sit with them for five years and see what happens. Anyway, that's probably it, I think, on the just general market thoughts. I can't think of anything else. I think it's continuing to be difficult for small cap investors. The big stocks seem to have uh, recovered very strongly recently. FTSE 100 has, has, has just gone a, done a diagonal line up, hasn't it? Back up to, I think it's about 7,900. Let's have a look. So very, very good um, the, for, the, for, the, for the FTSE 100, but very little uh, love for the small caps still, which, of course, gives us the buying opportunities. It's really important to stay focused on the fact that market doom and gloom bombed out share prices those are the profits of the future you know it's just having um we've got to flip the sentiment round haven't we when we feel negative because the shares dropped but it's putting out good trading updates that's an opportunity 
you know, and you can't time the top and the bottom unless you're constantly poised over your keyboard going in, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. I don't know many people who can do that consistently well over the long term. Uh, I think probably like a lot of people, I've tried that type of approach and I've had spectacular successes and spectacular failures and I just don't want to have the stress of it all. I'd rather just ride out temporary declines in share prices, providing it's a good, solid company. That just makes for a happier life with no gearing, where you can go off and do other stuff and just leave your shares and think, well, you know, I'll look at them tomorrow or at the end of the week. As long as you get the email alerts for the news on all the companies you hold, then you can um, you can just relax and do other stuff, which is more interesting than just staring at prices moving on the screen, which I'm sure... A lot of us are, are sometimes tempted to do. That's when investing really morphs into gambling. And I'm trying to to stop that tendency, which I suffer from, as I think everybody does to a certain extent, or we wouldn't be doing this stuff. OK, uh, I think that's probably about it. So nothing earth-shattering for this week. I think we've just got to hunker down and see what happens. I remain very bullish on a lot of individual small-cap shares. I think there's fantastic bargains out there. Um, and it's the people who have the balls to buy and to hold during these uh, wobbly patches who, who go on to make the big profits, I think, if we pick our shares well. So, uh, But obviously the macro picture is still very uncertain. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people are making out. I think the consumer could be um, quite good this year, which is why that's a, a nice area to look at, I think. But I could be wrong, as always. It's educated guesswork, isn't it? Uh, right, well, on that uh, on that thought, I will love you and leave you. Thanks again for listening and for all your great feedback. I really appreciate it, and we'll speak again next week. Bye. <laughs>